Wonderful to hear those opening words of John in Russian and English. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to be in the Gospel of John. I've entitled this series, That You May Believe, and hopefully those words are familiar because those are the words that John uses near the very end of the Gospel that he wrote, and he says, the purpose that I wrote all of these words every single verse, every single word, all of this was put together and I told these stories in exactly this way and exactly in this order that you, having read them, having heard them, might believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so if you're like me, and sometimes when you're looking for those very intentional opportunities to share the gospel with people or to talk to them about your faith, but you realize you're talking to someone who's never really read the Bible, they've never really had much of a deep encounter with Christianity whatsoever, and they want to start talking to you about the Bible, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly where and how to begin that conversation. And sometimes we might think logically, well, shouldn't we just start with Genesis, which we did this morning. We read Genesis 1, and it's great to start with Genesis 1 and to talk to someone about the, the Bible's teaching that God himself has created everything that exists in the entire universe. But if you've read through Genesis much further, you know that it doesn't take long where you get to some difficult parts that you feel like some of those discussions might kind of take you away from where you were. And so I say, why not start with Jesus? Why not start with the Gospel of John, which starts, begins with the same words, in the beginning, but in this case, John's Gospel was written so that those who hear and, and read and begin to understand these stories about Jesus would not just have more information, would not just understand and learn more doctrine, but that they would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so I love the Gospel of John. John tells us stories that none of the other Gospel writers tell us. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Matthew, like John, is a first-hand account. He actually saw and heard these things with his own eyes and ears. But Matthew tells us some different things that in many ways are similar to what Mark and Luke tell us, and yet they tell us some different things. And what we have with the four Gospels are four writers who are writing in their own way, who are writing to different audiences, who are writing to different people who have different worldviews, learning postures. And so the Gospels, rather than conflicting with each other, some people will say, well, why, why do they tell different stories? Why don't, do they not always seem to agree? Rather than conflicting with each other, the four Gospels give us a multi-dimensional view of the full story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And when we put all four of them together, we simply see Jesus more clearly. But John's is so unique because John actually was with Jesus on many occasions where most of the other disciples were not. And so John, having been written last, can say, well, I know what Matthew told you, and I know what is in Mark and what's in Luke, but here are the things they didn't tell you, and all of this is written. Why? So that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that you would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. So the Gospel of John 
is a great place for us to be to begin this year. And I'm challenging us to read through the entire Gospel of John as we go through this series. But listen, I've made it easy. I'm giving you more than three months to read one book of the Bible. You can go to our, in, in your channel, you can go to our website, and you can find the reading plan we've put together. My intention was to begin this series last week, but as many of you know, my family was quarantined. And so let me just, as a side note, say I'm so thankful for Phil Dark, the message that he shared last Sunday, his personal testimony in it. I, I just was so blessed by that, and I'm so thankful for Phil. But, but if you think you're behind, you're not. Because we didn't start John last week, so you're not behind. And because we have three months to go through this, you're really just at John 1 or 2. So you, if you wanted to, would have time to read through John probably four, five, or six times between now and Easter. And I hope you'll do that. We're not going to actually go through every single verse in John on Sunday morning. But if you're reading, then when we come together and, and go through the key readings... We will all walk through John together. As we begin John 1-1 this morning, I want to begin with a, a quote that I came across from Alan Jacobs who said, The present, as in this moment, is a jealous God. It wants us to think only of itself and never of the past or the future except insofar as images of them serve this instant. In other words, the tyranny of the present moment does not want us to look back and apply wisdom from the lessons we should have learned in the past. And the tyranny of the urgent in the present also does not want us, because it's a jealous God, to think about the future and what the consequences might be in the future of what we do in the present. But John's gospel begins with what I think we can call the oldest verse in the Bible. And you might say, well, what about John, Genesis 1-1, which we read? Shouldn't that be the oldest? Or you might say, well, I've heard that, that the book of Job is actually the oldest written book of the Bible, so shouldn't something in Job be the oldest verse in the Bible? But I say... John 1 1 is the oldest in the Bible because though it begins with the words in the beginning What John's really talking about here is what happened before the beginning Before the creation of the universe What was? Well before the creation of the universe was the word and Jesus is the word with a capital W in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God as everything that was being created was coming into being, and the Word, Jesus, was God. When's the last time you tried to explain that verse to someone who's never heard it? Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. What beginning? Well, we read it. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus Christ was there. And we see the Son and the Spirit present at creation. 
when the language is used, we, let us create mankind, human beings, in our image, and God, speaking amongst his triune self, says, let us create both male and female in our image. Who is we, us, our? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the word that's used here for word in Greek is this word logos. And I'm going to ask everybody to say this with me so that I know we pronounce it correctly. On the count of three, say logos. One, two, three, logos. Why do I care about that? Well, when I was in college learning from people like, you know, Bobby Kelly, and then in seminary, this was drilled in my head. Don't call it logos. Don't call it logos. Logos. It is logos. Say it correctly. I'm actually not sure if we know how to say those things correctly, but that's what was drilled into my head. And I remember, I, I, I shared this in the first service, but when I did, I felt like, man, I've been needing to get that out for a long time. So we'll see if it comes out with anger in this service too. But I, my, my family, uh, we were sitting around dinner with my, my in-laws and a friend of theirs who's a pastor from another state. And this friend is going off on this this soapbox about how you know seminary education isn't worth anything there's no point in in learning the original languages what good are they and he said look i have that logos bible software and it tells me everything i need to know about the languages my head was about to explode <laughs> it's logos and you're saying the education I have is worthless. You can't even say the name right. So was the anger? I smiled more, I think, this time. <laughs> as hard as it is to argue about the pronunciation, defining logos is a challenge. And that was certainly true in the first century because this Greek word logos was used by everyone. You had the Stoics who said, Logos is the, the inner thought and reason. It is the rational part of our soul. You had those who would later become the Gnostics who said the Logos, this, this word, is the, the essence of some secret knowledge that only a few people ever learn. You had the Greeks, this is from their language, who said Logos is the foundational substance underneath all existence. And then the Hebrews also used this word, but they used the Hebrew word dabar. And when you hear dabar, the word, think about it in these terms. The word of the Lord that came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. The wisdom of God that came to David and to Solomon. The logos, dabar, the word in Jesus all of that is personified. And so what John is saying is, when you see Jesus, whatever your understanding of the foundational substance of all existence, the, the height of all knowledge, the beginning of, of all creation, the unmoved mover, the uncaused cause, or if it's the, the very words of God through the scriptures, through his prophets, put all of it together and Jesus is all of that and even those that misunderstood it if you want to know what is truth 
what is the actual word of God, the purest image and form of who God is, look to Jesus. He is the Logos. He is the word. And John continues, he was with God in the beginning. And he wasn't just there, verse 3, through him all things that were made were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And Paul tells us in Colossians, Jesus wasn't just the means through which the triune God created everything, but Jesus is still right now holding it all together. And if Jesus was not holding everything that exists together, it would spin out of control into utter chaos. But also, verse 4, in him was life. Do we need to hear that word this morning with all we've faced? In him, not just creation, in him was life. And, and not just life now, but eternal life. That life was the light of all mankind. And that light, even now, shines in the darkness. Now, however bad the darkness is, the light is shining in it, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is the Word. But later in John chapter 3, just a few verses after the famous verse, John 3.16. John 3.19 says, But this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. So even though the, the, the true light is shining, still sometimes people choose to stay in darkness, to stumble around in it, even those of us who have experienced, received, had our eyes open to the true light. Sometimes we choose to go back and stumble around in darkness just as if we were lost. All of this, the, the word, the light, the life, came into being. How did this happen? Well, it came to be through the moment we just celebrated all throughout advent we call it the the incarnation the birth of christ when god himself came to the earth or as john says later in this chapter jesus is the word he's the word who became flesh i'm going to be in john chapter one if you want to stay there because i'm going to read us some more verses besides what we've already read john 1 14 describes what we call the incarnation in perfect language incarnation means literally to put on skin jesus is the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us i've shared with you before i love the the message interpretation of this the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood and that's what god did when when we could never do enough, even through the law of Moses, to reach him, he came down to us. He met us on our level. And the moment that the word became flesh is literally the moment that history turned in a different direction. If you doubt me on that, think about the calendar we use. 
Before the birth of Christ, most people in the world who used a calendar, even in the Western world, used a different calendar than we use. We go back and we say, it's this moment, the birth of Jesus Christ, that reoriented everything. Yes, the creation of human beings was the high point of Genesis 1, but the high point of everything is when God came to us in flesh. And he made his dwelling. And everything about the world changed directions from that day forward. Think about these scriptures that talk about Jesus Christ putting on flesh and how he is the perfect image of God. Genesis 1 said we, human beings, were created in the image of God, but, but we are a flawed image now. But Jesus is the perfect image of God. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over creation. And then Hebrews 1.3, this is is one long sentence in Greek. But in this one long sentence, you will find a perfect Christology. From beginning to end, this one verse describes the core of what we believe about Jesus and who we believe Jesus is. The Son, Hebrews 1.3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. When we see Jesus, we see exactly who God is, what he's like, what and who he values what his character truly is. In fact, that's the exact word Hebrews uses. We translate it exact representation. In Greek, it's the word character. It's the word character. When we wonder, as we look around us, and we say, with all the mixed messages and the messiness that we are immersed in all the time, who should we be like? Should we be like that person? Should we be like that person? Should we talk like them? Should we think like them? Should we be like that group? Should we hate them? We wonder who is a true model of character for us to follow. Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact character that God expects from us who would bear his image faithfully and display his image faithfully to everything else in creation so that when we say we believe in god we say we've trusted in christ our lives would match that and our character would match that but again the christology of hebrews 1 he also is sustaining everything by his powerful word every word that jesus spoke is the is the the foundational word of truth in all creation he also provided purification for our sins by dying for our sins on the cross and he defeated death by raising from the dead that now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven hebrews 1 3 some great theology in one verse jesus redeemed us from our sins but listen He also redeemed the image of God. And every single thing that we do as human beings that doesn't reflect the character of God and the character of Christ 
is only confirmation that, that we are a flawed image of God. But Jesus Christ is not a flawed image. He is the exact character of God. And so when we, in the midst of all we're facing, are asking those questions, how should I think? How should I speak? What does God want from me? Look to Jesus and no one else. Amen? All right. John continues, still in verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And isn't that amazing, by the way? John saw this with his own eyes. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then this John talks about another John. There are lots of Johns in the New Testament. John the Baptist testified concerning him, he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Did you notice in those verses twice, in the very first chapter, John says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. This leads me to ask myself some really hard questions that if I'm asking myself, I'm also asking you. Grace and truth. Is my home a place of grace and truth? Am I a person of grace and truth in my workplace? in my neighborhood, on the ball fields, on the courts, at the competitions, wherever it might be? Am I a person of grace and truth towards my spouse? In the 830 service, I looked right at her <laughs> to see her reaction when I said it. Am I a person of grace and truth towards my children or others that I, whom I love? Am I a person of, of grace and truth towards those with whom I disagree? Or towards my enemies? And is my overall presence in this world, in my interactions with people, in my social media presence, but most importantly, who I truly am when nobody else is watching, in my integrity, am I a person of grace and truth? And are you? I, I went off script uh, in the first service, and I'm going to go off script here again for just a minute. And in the first service, it probably came out pretty raw, more so than even Logos, Logos, all that. I don't think it'll be quite as raw now, but I, I just want you to hear my heart for a second, and, and I'm off script, so this is just speaking from my heart and, and prayerfully uh, the Holy Spirit speaking through me. It is a hard time to be an evangelical Baptist pastor. Not just because of COVID and, you know, all the challenges, but just in our culture. So many things that people say, this is Christian. This Jesus is in favor of. This he is not. It is a hard time. And I have tried, at, to, and I have failed at this at times, but I have tried to say, especially this year, after all that we faced in March and April, when, when we came back in June, I said, I'm not messing around anymore. And I hope you're not. After all we've been through, 
and and yet we fall back into bad habits and i tried to have tried to say time and again look i'm not going to let the the divisions of politics and other things come in here and divide us and and so hear my heart this morning not politically but but spiritually what we saw on wednesday we we hold up these two words grace and truth what we saw on wednesday was an assault on grace and truth how is it an assault on grace well i hope it offended you like it offended me that when 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 all of those people who were not protesters but who were insurrectionists the ones who stormed the capital violently who had built gallows out in front of of the Capitol, had a noose hanging from them and said, let's go murder the vice president. Also had a cross out there. They had a sign that said, Jesus saves. And Jesus had absolutely nothing to do with the behavior and what happened next. That's an assault on grace. It's also an assault on truth. And that assault continues. We prayed a prayer of lament this morning, and I felt that, as I was watching it, God, again, after all we've been through, how can this now be what's happening? But then, as I watched reactions, the anger that started to build up in me when people were, within moments, sharing and spreading things that have no basis in proven fact. We could all see, and again, hear, just hear my heart on this. Don't hear me say anything other than what I say. But feel free to hold me accountable for what I say, okay? We could all see. They stormed the, the United States Capitol with probably the highest definition closed-circuit camera system in the world, okay? We could see who those people were. They were not wearing masks. We could hear what they said. We could hear their motivations, and some of them were violent. And one of the things I think that happens when we get so relaxed and we're like, well, I can share that. I can say that. I can post that. Because, you know, people know to take it with a grain of salt. Not everybody. And there are extremists on every side. And deranged people, sadly, everywhere. And Jesus told us it will be that way till he comes back. So we must, grace and truth, we must be faithful to call out an assault on grace and truth no matter who it comes from even if we wish so badly it were someone else and we could blame it on somebody else and again hear what i'm saying i'm not calling out one person or ten people or even a thousand where are we all complicit and how do i ever look someone in the face who says to me but wait you're an evangelical pastor you're a baptist pastor don't you all believe and they lay out all these things and not one of them has anything to do with jesus i remember growing up in the 90s and going into college and part of my college years were in the the early 2000s and hearing time and again in churches and in school that there is an assault on truth back then it was about sexual morality in particular then it was the president then then in college it was about relativism and it was about those who say i have my truth you have your truth and we were so afraid that relativism was going to be the thing that took down the american church here's my last word 
if you and I see what's happening, but we choose selectively only to call it out when it's them and not them or us, whoever it is, we are relativists in the same way. There is grace and there's truth. And as confusing and hard and frustrating as this is, I bring it all back home. If you want to know where to look next, look to Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the image of God, perfected. He is the example of character. He is grace and truth. The law was good, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And listen to these last words from John 1. The next day, the other John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And look to the very end. John the Baptist says, I have seen him, and I can testify that this is God's chosen one. Jesus is the Word. He's the Logos. He is the one through whom everything was made. He's the one holding it all together. He's the Word become flesh, the incarnate Son, but He is also the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus. And I love these words from, from Paul. Again, the, we think about the present being a jealous God. It only wants us to think about this moment and now. So why not just say it? Why not just share it? Why think about the consequences? Well, here's what we can share. Past, present, and future. Foundationally, that you may believe the message of hope. Paul wrote to Timothy, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. He's the incarnate Son, the Word made flesh, God's chosen one. And He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Today, let's turn our hearts and our eyes towards Him and Him alone. Would you pray with me?